This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey there, welcome back to Ospol Snack Pod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We are also the official podcast of the Ospol Shitposting Facebook group. My name is Zach Snack, and with me, as always, is friend, confidant, and member of my inner sanctum. Hey, I'm Noon. Uh, welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Zach. Thank you. Uh, welcome and back welcome to back- our inner sanctum. Yeah, welcome listeners. back, Facebook News, as well. Um, yeah, that was we had one week where um, you know didn't didn't have news on Facebook, and people very immediately found ways around it, and now uh, they don't have to anymore, and everybody mm-hmm. can argue in the comment sections, just like none of this ever really. Happened. Yeah, which is good, I guess. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, but we're not going to talk about it more because we spent so long over the last couple of weeks talking about it. Uh, also, vaccines—they're happening this week, uh, and also lots of photo ops concerning vaccines. For Morrison, who rocked up in just the worst of his outfits yet. And he's got plenty of time to top himself mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. He's, he doesn't hold the highest office in the land anymore. But um, this is up there. It's- I saw a good tweet that was like, holding on to the leadership just long enough to get the Pfizer jab. I respect that hustle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jumping to the front of the queue. Some people's like, well, some people, like a couple of loudmouths on Twitter complaining about Morrison jumping the queue to get the vaccine. Silly argument, in my opinion. Um, it's phase one like, A, guys. It's, it's, it's just phase one A. It's you know, it's Gomo and the meat work and the meat workers. Oh man, we got a lot of people. Um, quite a few people being like, think about that the the meat workers thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah like we we know there's. You know, there were several severe outbreaks. There's lots, uh, like, at meat processing plants. The conditions in meat, meat processing plants are the perfect, are perfect for, like, preserving and spreading bacteria. Uh, we didn't mean to say that people who work in those places don't need mm. to, don't deserve protection or anything. Yeah. Definitely not what we were saying. Um, but uh, thank you for, uh, you know, participating in the discourse. Anyway... Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, uh, let's move right along. It's, uh, now time for... Shitpost of the Week. We don't often do it this early in the show. Right up front. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And we normally try to give it to some original content that someone has posted in Ospol Shitposting, which, if you're not a part of that group, head over to Facebook, Ospol Shitposting, find us, um, answer the questions, or we won't let you into the group. Um, and uh, this one is not. Uh, this was some OC from someone called Shrapnel who posted it on their page and it was shared into the group by moderator Ness Harkness. So thank you, Ness, very much. This is a Black Books meme. I used to like Black Books when I was like 16, but it's been a real long time since I watched it. And I did end up watching this scene again. Um, but it's Bernard in the bookshop uh, and he's saying, what'll I do with that extra 350? I'll add another acre to the grounds. I'll chuck a few more koi carp in my piano shop, uh, piano shaped pond. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's a guy trying oh, to haggle. I really thought you were going to do your um, Irish accent. Going a black voice. Yeah. Uh, oh, we'll get him next time. I'll add another acre to the grounds. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, that was that's just why I didn't do it in the racist. first place. That was deeply problematic. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll wear it. You know, racist against the Irish. <laughs> you, you walked right. It's into fine. That it's one, fine. Man. I'm I'm literally like an eighth Irish, so it's fine. Um. <laughs> Well, I'm half Irish, and I take (laughs) exception to your fucking leprechaun impression. But anyway, he's like a what does this mean about? What's the what is it? What does it all mean? So the government has announced a very, very, very tiny raise to job seeker of fifty dollars per fortnightly payment cycle. So that's twenty five dollars a week, or three dollars and fifty seven cents a day, which is enough to buy you not quite one full train ride, or less than one coffee, <laughs> or you could buy one tube of toothpaste from Chemist Warehouse <laughs> if it was on sale with that money. Or, I so, guess a couple of extra koi cup in the piano shaped pond. Just um, chuck them in there. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah, not that and, expensive. And I mean, it is very little known, but technically we did raise it. You asked us to raise it and we yeah, raised well, it. The government has been making a big deal of the fact that this is the biggest raise since I can't remember when it was 89 or something to put in my notes. Cause it's a bullshit mm. fucking argument. Cause it literally ha- just hasn't been increased. So like, it, yeah. Interesting to deploy up. that as evidence of you doing a good thing, as opposed to you've completely failing to do a good thing for decades. Right. Right. Uh, mm. and look by comparison, Cassandra Goldie, the CEO of the Australian council of social services, ACOS was asking for a raise of $25 a day, not $25 a week. So roughly one seventh of what ACOS is calling for. And the unemployed workers union has been campaigning for a raise to 80 a day, uh, which has been getting some traction online with the hashtag 80 a day, hashtag um and other you know people and organizations are you know supporting that but by comparison the government is raising it to 44 dollars a day so just over half of what they're calling for um but the government is also going ahead and cutting the coronavirus supplement of 150 dollars um and they're potentially also going to make means testing and some other rules more strict uh, which ACOS described as lacking human decency, and the Unemployed Workers Union said it was, quote, a cruel joke. Um, yeah, they can't even throw a couple of moldy fucking crusts to the poor without inserting a razor blade inside them. Like, right. you can, you, like, you've harangued us so much that we're forced into the political position of having to give you something. But that doesn't mean that we can't also use this as an, as an opportunity to fuck you at the same time. Yeah, so this Just is also going to look like a bunch of less people getting access to this very, very tiny raise, for example. Um, the That's Labor how you Party... balance the books. Yeah. Yep. The Labor Party has said they support increasing the job seeker payment, but have refused to put a figure on it, to which I say, boo! Um, That's... But yeah. why, like, why even fucking say anything in the first place? <laughs> it's literally <laughs> a worse policy than the government has. <laughs> Yeah, like, just like say it's a one hundred percent three fifty-seven a day. <laughs> it's more than it's it's question an mark. actual number that exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. And that's the um, fucking state of welfare policy in this country. That that's the yep. Like the first people to fucking move the needle are these ghouls. Uh huh. <sighs> and look, Zach, you mentioned a razor blade in with this measly moldy crust and um i think that's probably a good note on which to move on to our next segment fashy australia because it's a razor thin raise no because there is a much bigger worse razor than means test also in this policy uh, yeah okay yeah. oh wow it's a, just when a you thought razor. 
eaten the whole razor. There's a whole second other there's bigger a, razor. There's a razor the that's been crust. hidden inside, like a pin, like those strawberries. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Mixing because at the same time, dangerous things in food metaphors here, but yeah. <laughs> so it's, no, hey, you know what it is? Story. It's, a, it's just it's good it's shit a talking. Bear, it's it's a berry that has a needle in it, but then you find out later that it also had hepatitis. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, or maybe your neighbor called to mention that you ate the strawberry and now you're in jail. Uh, because <laughs> at the same time as announcing this tiny race of job seeker, the government has also announced a new, and please fill in the heavy quotation marks that I'm doing here, Dobbin a doll bludger hotline. Um, Dobbin yeah, a doll bludger. Is the idea actually the fucking wording like coming out the, of the of the employment office? I haven't gone to the official website or anything, but that's what all of the government's messaging is calling it. Jesus um, Christ. And the the idea is that if someone applies for a job and is someone on job seeker, obviously, right, a welfare recipient who's now getting a wildly huge extra three dollars and fifty seven cents a day, if they go and apply for a job and they're offered it and they turn it down. The business can ring up Michaelia Cash, the Minister for Employment, and tell them that this low-life scum welfare fraud recipient has refused to take the job, presumably with the intent of, you know, scamming taxpayers or whatever. Um, Just the the fucking, like, audacity of, like, this is a completely confected issue, and they have been, like, artificially creating this talking point for months like no, like well, you know, it's the same fucking shit as the robo debt hotline, right? It's like there's no problem. This is a fake thing. We're yeah. gonna punish the poor for it. Um, like, but it's and it, like it won't do anything because there is no problem in the first place. Like people are not turning down jobs. This is an absolute. We haven't right, we right. haven't dived into it uh, on the show yet. Yeah. But the, what they call what um I think the Australian Unemployed Workers Union is calling it propaganda, which is all of these. ABC news stories about how farmers just can't get anybody to come and pick their uh, fruit yeah. anymore because yeah. we're not allowed to exploit backpackers anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, cry me a fucking river. But, like, despite all of the fucking astroturfing you're doing with these bullshit human interest stories about these poor farmers who aren't allowed to, like, yeah, mm-hmm. literally keep people in, like, indentured servitude-esque conditions, the problem doesn't exist. So what the fuck is the hotline going to do? It's, it's mm-hmm. pure marketing. Well, no, I think there's some real things that it'll do, and all of them are fucking awful. Um, and I will get to that in a sec. But first, I just want to go on about the name a bit more. Um, Please I think, do. Yeah. Uh, I think the government has chosen a really good name for this, the Dobbin Adult Bludger Hotline, because it sounds immensely childish. Like, dobbing in is, like, literally a schoolyard thing, right? It's, like, no one says that at workplaces, I'm pretty sure. And... Bludger is a very silly sounding word, which is presumably why Turf Queen J.K. Rowling used it in her books. Um, And both of these go together to make it, like, when you call it the Dobbin Adol Bludger hotline, it really downplays the fact that this is, like, a public stalking campaign targeting the unemployed. And this is a... But it's a whimsical public stalking campaign. That's true, yeah. Yeah, unlike... And look, I I feel like this may be a bit heavy handed, but this is a classic literal actual fascist thing. 
Um, something like 40% of the arrests carried out by the Gestapo in Nazi Germany were from people with personal grudges reporting their friends, families, and neighbors. Um, and the Gestapo was a tiny organization with basically no funding, and they just had masses of informants, which made up for it, again, most of whom were just like pissed off with, you know, Uncle Hans or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And turning groups of people against one another and inserting the state as the medium by which you encourage them to abuse each other is a really scary tactic that I think everyone should be like, more worried about mm. than simply this hotline kind of as mm. it is if you know what i mean mm. like it's a yeah bad step in a horrifying direction um but that's it i don't think it's like this phone line is the 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 thing that's gonna like indicate the slide of australia into a gestapo-esque situation um but there are some much more specific and like real concerns about the hotline yeah um so here's a quote from the guardian the Australian Council of Trade Unions President Michelle O'Neill was scathing about the hotline, warning it would give unemployed Australians even less power than I did in a dynamic already skewed against them, especially if an employer treated an applicant poorly during an interview. O'Neill suggested it could lead to, lead to women accepting jobs they feel unsafe in, referencing the multiple workplace sexual assault allegations that have dominated political discussion over the past week. Just think about what we've all been talking about for the last week and a bit. I mean, imagine a circumstance where someone is treated badly at the interview, where they're harassed or perhaps sleazy propositions put to them at the point where they're going for, the, for a job. Then you're saying that employer can dob in that unemployed woman for the fact that she's knocked back a job? This is dangerous territory to give power to employers to further punish people who are simply looking for work. Yeah. And um, this is from Cassandra Goldie again. Um, she said the hotline is about the tired old politics of demonizing people simply because they're not able to find paid work. What uh, We want to foster collaboration between employers, between social services, the union movement, and most importantly, people affected by unemployment to find solutions and create the great jobs of the future. Instead, the government's going down a path, path of distrust and division. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, kind of gets to what I was saying about the Gestapo thing of, like, rather than actually trying to mm. fix anything, they're just like, hey, how about you guys all hate each other more? That that might help. Yeah, um, this, the, like, reinforcing this, I, this, like, combative relationship between employers and employees as if it's this constant struggle for employers to, like, get employees to behave responsibly, right, and, like, do right. the right thing, as if the vast amount of fucking theft... And, like, right. law-breaking doesn't happen in the opposite fucking direction. I'm so yeah. angry about this. I'm which, sorry. No, no. Well, that leads, again, nicely into the rest of the story, which I don't know if this is necessarily fashy Australia, but it's thematically relevant. Because while we're talking about the, like, job X policies, that was job seeker. There's also bullshit going on with job keeper and job maker. Yes, so, and I Noon I'd just and I got very fucking confused mes messaging, messaging back other. and forth yeah. about this because we both, like said one thing when we met the other or typed one thing when we thought we were typing the other. And yeah, like yeah. marketing genius. These fucking people. I swear well, I mean, it makes it fucking impossible and boring to talk about. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. the perfect policy <laughs> yeah. and also makes people's lives materially worse. That's the, the ultimate combo for the liberal party. It, it, I think it's amazing that the gov, like the liberal party managed to make, the franking credit rebate annulment scheme such a hot topic for the election <laughs> because it was called that like that's impressive um to make an issue out of any kind of rebate annulment scheme <laughs> true i guess all you have to do is say they're stealing your retirement <laughs> that's true yeah. <laughs> like yeah you know i mean credit where it's due 
They know how to run a scare campaign. True. Yeah. Well, yes. here's a fucking scam they're running in JobKeeper. So um, the government has said that they're not going to pursue millions of dollars that they've overpaid to companies as part of JobKeeper. So they overpaid about $340 million. It's quite a lot of money. Uh, and there's at least 50 million of that that they're just like not even going to bother trying to get back. And just for comparison, the robo debt scheme that brought in about 300 million dollars, less than the total overpayment for this, and that, as we know, caused several suicides and then ended up costing them more than a billion dollars in the class action lawsuit when it was found to be illegal. Uh, so this is job keeper that we're talking about, which is the money that went straight to businesses as opposed to individuals. And like, correct people at this surprise, at the time surprise. said, including us. Businesses are just going to pocket a shitload of this money. It's not going to end up in the hands of people who actually need it. And like, here we are. And yeah. now the ATO is like, oh, I'm too weak. I could never reclaim this money. And meanwhile, like the government's like fucking setting up hotlines to dob in people who are like earning 25 bucks a week over the fucking threshold or whatever. Yep. <sighs> uh, and look, according to Scott Morrison, the businesses that pocketed these millions of dollars made, quote, honest mistakes and that trying to get it back would be quote <laughs> the politics of envy josh frydenberg <laughs> said that companies that can afford to repay the money should do so uh as opposed oh, well, to the they, fucking people the on honesty Centrelink. system yeah which have to who have to be browbeaten and dobbed in by their fucking neighbors Oh, I'm just, yeah, again, like, RoboDebt is the comparison that I'm making. It's like, they pursued people for, like, six fucking dollars and shit. And then yeah. those people literally couldn't afford lawyers, and many of them died, and, like... And in many well, cases, didn't owe money in the first place. Didn't owe well. money in the first place, They yeah. just, their, their crime was that they were, at some point, receiving welfare. Yes, and... Yeah, look, just to be clear, it's not this full $340 million that they're refusing to get back. Um, they are trying to get back some of that, but, like, nonetheless, it's pretty good. Okay, so that's Job Keeper. Now we're moving on, <laughs> now we're moving on to Job Maker. Fuck now, that Job Maker is basically an incentive to fire older experienced workers and hire people under 30 on much lower wages. That's what yes. the scheme is. Yes. Um, so this is from the ABC. Oh, with less, ex- less hours as well, which is, is crucial. Like you hire right, right. two younger employees who both work less than a full-time week. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So this to is from Treasury, which of, was... Yeah. The, the reason this is in the news this week is that the ABC got uh, freedom of information requests about this from Treasury. Mm-hmm. And so Treasury's examples say that bosses could sack a full-time employee on $75,000 and replace them with three part-time staff on wages of, yeah, between $22,000 and $30,000, while still remaining in front financially thanks to the generous job maker hiring credit. That's from the ABC. So um, this is like internal analysis from Treasury, Treasury about saying, this policy that everybody, like, saying exactly what everybody was warning would happen has happened. Well, it's not that it has happened. It's that this is what it's going to be used for. Oh, they they, they predicted this. Or, as a, or like... Sorry, sorry. So they're, the reason or they're more the admitting news, that this is what the policy was supposed to do in the first place. Well, like, supposed to do. Like, this is the only function that it has, essentially. Uh, and, like, it was designed... So, according to Josh Frydenberg, what it was supposed to do was... Again, heavy quotation marks. Support four hundred and fifty thousand jobs. Yeah. Um. Uh. But again, so the, the reason it's in the news isn't that people are already scamming doing this. It's just Treasury 
Treasury's report to government about this is what the policy's effects will be. They're like, well, it's going to fire a bunch of experienced full-time workers and instead hire them with inexperienced part-time workers. Uh, and two, it's going to create about 45,000 jobs. So about 10% of what Josh Frydenberg said it would support. Um, and even if those 45,000 new jobs are technically on the books, it's going to mean a huge turnover, right? A huge churn. So yeah. it's going to be a lot of people fired. A lot of people will be unemployed. A lot of them for the first time in decades, right? People who have been at places for a really long time, maybe yeah. like, you know, work their way up the ranks slowly, going to be fired and replaced with part-time workers with no experience. And this is going to mean that there's a lot of people over 40, over 50, who are going to be unemployed for the first time in a long time, which obviously has already been a problem with coronavirus. And now this job maker thing is going to encourage businesses who are retaining their older skilled employees to fire them. And they're all going to go on fucking job seeker. And then they're going to be fucking dobbed in for not taking jobs where they can't use their skills. And like, this is something I didn't get a quote. I didn't put this in the notes, but um, there was some employment expert guy talking about how, yeah, it's just going to like the people will apply, you know, who might have PhDs and relevant, you know, industries or whatever will be applying to a bunch of jobs as lab technicians or whatever. And they have to make up their job seeker quotient. So they'll yeah. apply for fucking cafe jobs or whatever. And then they'll get offered that job and they'll turn it down because there's another one for like an actual salary that they're going to hear about next week. And like they can get dobbed in and have their pay withdrawn because they're not going to take a cafe job because they've been employed as a fucking physicist for the last four decades or whatever. Like, yeah. oh, it's just just an awful policy. Yeah. Yeah, an awful suite of policies that yes. once again demonstrate explicitly just how much this government loves punishing poor people it's just it's just like it's just as simple as that yep there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing beyond that okay well that's the end of that story zach so uh now we have a broken clock which is nice we don't get to play that sting all all too often say what you will about pauline right about this you know one. you have to hand it to isis i don't normally agree with channel seven yeah, it may be a bit of a stretch to call it Broken Clock. Usually we reserve this segment for people who have terrible opinions that we often disagree with, who have accidentally said something good. Um, but look, I'll let you be the judge of whether this, this is appropriate or not. So, we're talking about the Western Australian state election that's happening in two weeks. And in the news this week, the leader of the, of the Western Australian Liberals, Zach Kirkup. That's a hard to swallow Terrible name. name. Um <laughs> has effectively conceded uh, ahead of the election. He said, quote, I have to be real with the people of Western Australia, and they are telling me that they expect Mark McGowan will still be Premier. Um, and uh, I thought, uh, you know, because essentially he's like, yeah, we, we can't win. And uh, I thought a great example of this that I found when I was doing research for this Mm -hmm. story was i went to the wikipedia page for the 2021 western australian state election uh -huh. and it has um <laughs> like the three major parties listed listed at the top like who's contesting it and it's mark mcgown zach kirkup and mia davies who are the head who's the uh leader of the nationals and mark mcgown is the only one that has a picture of his face <laughs> of his name zach kirkup and mia davies just, just had lib, lib and, nat. and nat yeah <laughs> yeah, it's it's very funny. That's it, <laughs> it's really good. Maybe we should make that the the cover image for the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so Labor currently holds the largest majority in Western Australian parliamentary history, 
with 41 wow. seats out of 59 <laughs> in the lower house. Yeah. And they and they've got 14 of the 36 seats in the upper house and uh, you know they're not so they're not too far from having an outright majority in the upper house as well. And they're on track to another stonking victory. Um polling has them consistently like wiping the libs even mm-hmm. further at this election. Early voting exit polls uh, are showing that 70% of people are voting for Labour, which wow. is, yeah, like the like, and that's why. So this guy's like that's looking wild. at the numbers, like, oh boy, well, I literally <laughs> um, can't win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and the face of these numbers, I don't know what other conclusion you could draw. Um, but so the other thing is that there is like, I mean, yeah, McGowan is 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 fucking bulletproof, really. Mm. Like he is hugely popular, uh, and I think. I mean, a lot of commentators put this down to, even though, you know, I mean, he did, he, they did, ex- Labour did, and he did extremely well at the previous state election, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But recently, people have been very happy with his performance, if you want to call it that, on mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. coronavirus, essentially just locking the state border down hard for the entire time that the virus is raging. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there were, like, people applauding in their driveways for him, um, during the during lockdown, the ABC one of the ABC articles I read about this had a bunch of really weird Mark McGowan fan mm. art in it. I, I took a little screen cap of one here, Noom, which you can probably yeah. can take a look at. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a picture of Australia with um, uh, all of the states and territories except Western Australia with little like I can't quite see what the icon is, but it looks like it's a coronavirus or something. Or like, yes, yeah, so it's like and- the level of warning. Of coronavirus, uh, okay. so yeah, Victoria's yeah, gotcha. there at like level three hotspots. Yeah, I see. And yeah. then the others are in orange. And then Western Australia it doesn't have any. And there's a yeah. love heart around this continent of Australia, and it says, "Happy Valentine's Day. My love for you is as strong as McGowan's border. Love from Claire XXX." It's like oh, it's not really Pretty... McGowan's border. That sounds very intimate, McGowan's it's... border. I don't <laughs> know if he wants the general public involved. I mean, yeah. no wonder he's locked it down. But lock me down harder. Yeah. Day, um, yeah. Vibes. Uh, yep. Yeah. So that's gross. But yeah. Anyway. Um, so the libs definitely you can't just win. Not. You can. You, you can could just. You could very easily you can appreciate sensible measures taken against the coronavirus without. Getting all fucking horny about hard yeah. borders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really it's, or, and like or state premiers. That's really the, well, that's the thing. I mean, hard what are you borders. Doing standing politicians in the first place, but especially right. state None politicians. None of them deserve it, and especially state premiers, <laughs> like, Labor Party leaders. I just don't. I'm not. Look, it's, clearly you know, we don't get it. Claire's I don't know why in the, in the we started a politics podcast, Jack, but. <laughs> We're clearly not our own target audience. Anyway. <laughs> We're angry at all the other nerds who don't agree with us. Mm. Um, yes. So as I was saying, the Libs definitely can't win. Zach Kirkup is right about that. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Kirkup. Um, Everything. He's really Kirked this one up. But why admit yeah. it? Um, well, Kirkup says <laughs> yeah. that it's about changing the goal of the election from win yeah. to stop Labour winning too much. Um, it's called saving the furniture. Yes, exactly. It's the yeah. saving the furniture policy. He's, he said, a Liberal Party reduced to a sing- to single digits, that is a significant <laughs> concern. If there was no effective opposition in Western Australia, 
How could we stop them when they go too far? Well, Zach, you don't worry, man. already can't. So yeah. I don't think you need to be too concerned about that. <laughs> um, reading, doing a bit of reading around and, and like trying to find some good, decent analysis on this. I haven't really seen any super convincing arguments like for why this is a good move. Um, <laughs> From Kirk. Yeah, sure. Yeah, beyond like, I guess, points for honesty. Like, mm-hmm. you know, everybody can see what's going to happen. And pretending it's not going to happen, like I, you know, I find the, right, like right. the way that it's, politicians we're giving him a broken clock about and, it, you know. Like, well, exactly. That's, I think yeah. that, like, yeah, sh- like go ahead and say, yeah, look, we we're are already rooted. <laughs> like, there's no point in me pretending like we're not going to get totally roasted at this election. So, yeah, yeah, may as well just get it out there. Uh, other theories are that he's trying to stop like some wavering liberal voters who who were thinking about, oh, just fuck it, I'll go with the tide and vote Labour. And the, the other argument right, right. Um, that I saw in a couple of different articles about this was just uh-huh. that the liberals have nothing to lose. Like, that's the... <laughs> That's that's what passes for serious political analysis. And it's uh, it's the George Costanza strategy, right? Uh, like um, <laughs> up until now, we've been doing terribly, and we've been trying to act like we have some hope. So, what if we just instead don't do the opposite of that instead? Yeah. Um, no, I think it is probably the honesty because you know I don't I don't know much about Zach Kirkup, um, but he recently did an interview where he talked about. Um, having depression, mental health issues, mm. um, and uh, which, you know, good on him, I guess, like, that's definitely in line with talking about the fact that you're not going to win this election. Like, I feel like that kind of, like, lines up for me, people being those honest with their mental health. Honest. Like, yeah, th- th- those are both moments uh, of honesty. Kind of, sure. like, mature in a... Yeah. Um he he's quite baby-faced though anyway um, he's like 30 he's only he's in his early 30s yeah yeah um weirdly the the journalist who he did an interview with said that he said that he missed it like Zach Kirkup didn't want to have his job um and Zach Kirkup refused to confirm or deny that he had said that to this journalist which is <laughs> weird um but i mean uh, it doesn't it's not the fucking it's not a plum political position being the opposition leader to this person who's, who's party, copping yeah. 70% at yeah. the exit polls. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm going to use this to segue into our next story um, because the Western Australian liberals led by Zach Kirkup have said that they will not take any money from Clive Palmer at this election. Um, and this came after Mark McGowan, the Labour Premier, said that Basically, the Liberals were in the pocket of of Clive Palmer, and so Zach went on radio to say he wouldn't take any money from Clive. In response, Clive Palmer said that uh, he didn't have to worry about him or anyone else donating much money to the Liberals while Mr. Kirkup was in charge. He said, no one could support such a no-hoper, which in the context of talking about his, like, struggles with depression is, like, less funny. Yeah. Um, but Clive is always, you know, value for money for the shit posts. He's just such... A flagrant bastard, and has like mm-hmm. he's just not interested in any way in hiding how much of a piece of shit he is. Which, like, if, if we're talking, if we're giving people points for honesty here, yeah, that's one of the very few things that Clive is honest about. I am yeah, a massive piece of that's shit. True. I will lie to you about everything else. I know other people do this, but I feel like it was emblematic of him getting into parliament and that like fucked election when he got into parliament, which. <laughs> 
we all just forgot that that happened. And then he slept through Parliament just like regularly, <laughs> all the time. Just a him and Darren Hinch, but, the Nap yeah, Club. Look, a yeah. lot of people sleep through Parliament. It, I wonder if that tells us big... anything about the makeup of our Parliament. Probably not. Or the value of our government. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Probably nothing to worry about. People deciding what our lives are going to be like are just literally asleep at the wheel. This well, shit is so fucking ridiculous, man. Speaking of ridiculous, <laughs> let's move on to our positivity corner. Okay. Positivity corner. And look, actually, we forgot to say that the title of this episode is McGowan McMuffins because there's just a bunch of West Australian, you know, assortments, different types of muffins. We've had the, you know, uh, Zach McMuffins. We're having the Clive McMuffins. We've got more McMuffins. <laughs> Man, I'm doing terribly today. You fucking... You're, you're, that you stonked home like, Victor- like Western Australian labour on that gag. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Exit polls so- say 70% of listeners enjoyed your McMuffin bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's optimistic, but I'm, I'm going to refuse to look at any additional polls. Okay. Noon concedes that McMuffin bit doesn't work before he's even finished saying the bit. <laughs> <laughs> look, you got to give me points for honesty, man. Okay. I do. <laughs> Clive Palmer. This is the positivity corner. Clive Palmer has lost his high court case in which he accused the West Australian (laughs) government of violating the constitution. So um, he claimed the the constitution said that travel between states, quote, shall be absolutely Uh, free, which is true. It does say that. But he lost the case anyway because the high court basically said there was a fucking pandemic, you fuckwit. Um, it's not a direct quote, obviously. This, you know, legal jargon has been translated for you. But um, yeah, the the court has also ruled that he should pay the costs of the Western Australian government, which, as I uh, w- w- like, means he's going to pay all of the expenses that they had to put up to fight him in court for this. And as I understand it, that's basically how courts punish people for bringing bullshit cases um, that they knew that they were going to lose and was just hmm. to be a dick. It's like, well, you don't get to make the other person pay for it just because you're a dick. I feel um, like that should really, that should be called doing a Clive, really. Bringing a completely yes. bogus legal case just so that you can get some headlines complaining about Correct. how somebody did something you don't like. Well, yeah, uh, Mark McGowan is trying, well, he's looking into, he's seeking legal advice about getting Clive declared a vexatious litigant, yes. which means that basically, I, I'm not 100% about this, so listeners, I know we've got a couple of legal eagle listeners uh Eagle-eared. i think that means that basically he can't bring suits against mcgowan again God, what like, the fuck is like, he gonna do with his spare time right right and i'm gonna tell you Naps. about some Continue other napping. things clive palmer is also suing the government west australian government for at least two other things but mm. all of these court cases have other court cases inside them so like it's at least two um, but anyway, sorry about this. Um, the the costs. Mike McGowan says that he doesn't know how much Palmer will have to pay, but it'll be significant. And so I imagine there'll be more court cases about the costs and so on. So, and just as yeah, a reminder, right. as a background for why Clive brought this case that everyone knew was just a terrible idea, because like obviously locking down the border is a good idea during a pandemic. But he brought this case because he was mad because the Western Australian government had turned down his application to enter the state, and. 
the reason that they turned that application down, and we've told this story on air a few times, but yeah, I can't get over at how least funny two. it is. Yeah, he, funny he every got time. his pilot to fill out the forms for him, and the pilot did a terrible job because he doesn't know anything about it, and he, he just like put in random answers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he claimed to be Clive Palmer's husband. There was a bunch of other stuff. It was really weird. There was just, and the West Australian Border Authority thought it was a joke that hadn't come from Clive Palmer. They thought it was just like someone had sent in a silly thing. So they threw it out and then he got mad and sued them. And they were like, oh, bro, just send it another application. He was like, nope, I'm suing you for the constitution. Okay. But he's also suing them for two other things. So one of them, he's asking for $30 billion in compensation for some iron ore projects that were knocked back. Yep. Um, We've talked about that one before as well. Yeah. That's about the entire yearly budget of the West Australian government. Yep. Um, The West Australian government introduced some very hurried legislation to basically ensure that he can't keep asking for this $30 billion, but he said that he's going to take it to the high court. And according to a constitutional law lecturer at Murdoch University named Lorraine Finlay, it's quite extraordinary because on the one hand, we have got the West Australian parliament trying to legislate itself out of litigation. And then on the other hand, we have Clive Palmer trying to litigate himself out of being affected by legislation. Um, So they're both basically trying to like, make the themselves not <laughs> culpable for their yeah. own actions and it does right. actually seem like he might um win that which is not good oh, but um geez. yeah or, or at least the high court bit about this law being unconstitutional anyway whatever I, I don't know um and this again had several spin-off suitcases for example he sued mark mcgowan for contempt of court for something that they did during this case however and sorry again, this is like the next thing. Um, this happened last month, and I'm sad we missed it. But um, here's a quote from the ABC: Mining mogul Clive Palmer is still suing West Australians Premier for alleged defamation, despite his office issuing a statement stating that the action had been withdrawn. In a statement on Sunday, Mr. Palmer's media advisor said the billionaire's lawyers had written to West Australian Premier Mark McGowan, advising him the defamation case against him would be withdrawn. But on Monday, uh, Clive Palmer's advisor explained that he made the statement without Mr. Palmer's approval, and it was incorrect. Um, (laughs) Mr. Crook says the the statement should have referred to separate contempt of court proceedings Mr. Palmer has against the Premier of the West Australian Attorney General. (laughs) So, yeah, so Clive Palmer is suing Mark McGowan for defamation, not for contempt of court. That was the (laughs) one that he actually cancelled was the contempt of court one (laughs) he is suing mark mcgowan for defamation he claims that mark mcgowan was quote grossly defamatory on six occasions and this includes media conferences where he called clive palmer quote an enemy of the state uh (laughs) claimed that he'd wanted to come to australia to promote a dangerous drug and accused him of trying to damage the health of west australians and i think probably all of those could be upheld in court as true yeah absolutely like an enemy of the state like you're literally a vexatious litigant litigant Litigant, like that's about as enemy as you can be without like insurrection anyway yeah so yeah that's (laughs) that's the end of my clive palmer uh series of shenanigans positivity corner he's he's just getting wrecked in the courts it's great yeah fuck you clive eat shit All right, so next I've got uh, some First Nations stories. I'm going to start with a nice one, but don't worry. It'll make the bad ones much worse. So, um, yeah. Uh, So archaeologists working in the Kimberley in the far north of Western Australia um, on the land of the Queenie people have found the oldest known rock art on the continent. Um, So 
it's been found for a long time, um, but like they recently determined that it was the oldest known painting uh, mm. in so-called Australia. Wow. So the paintings of a kangaroo in mulberry paint uh, on the roof of a, a cave um, up in the Kimberley. Yeah. Uh, and by dating charcoal found in wasp nests, which were under and over the painting, they managed to date the painting, right? So they're like, yeah, the right. wasp nest this underneath wasp it has is... charcoal. This old, <laughs> yeah. the one on top of it's this old. So it's a little over 17,000 years old. Wow. And that's before the last ice age. Um, and it's the oldest known rock art, as I said, or like any art, obviously, in so-called mm. Australia. So just keep that in mind while we talk about these next few stories about people destroying the land in that part of the world. Yeah. Um, so regular listeners know we've covered the story about Rio Tinto, the mining company who destroyed a 40,000-year-old indigenous heritage site last year. And our basic stance has been, of course this happens, the entire mining industry is fundamentally built on destroying indigenous land and culture. Would you say that's about a fair summary of our approach I'd say that's a that? fair summary, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's also out- a fair summary of the issue. Yes, yes. Uh, and look, like everyone was outraged. There were heaps of articles about his front page, blah, blah, blah. Lots of rumblings about, you know, making sure this doesn't happen again. But completely unsurprisingly, it's happened again twice in the last couple of weeks. And all from different companies. So um, here's a quote uh, from West Australia Today. So, um, on May 29, 2020, just five days after Rio's blast at Jukan, West Australian Treasurer and Aboriginal Affairs Minister Ben Wyatt gave BHP approval to proceed with work at South Flank that would result in the destruction of 40 Bunjima heritage sites. In a statement in June, BHP said it would, quote, not disturb the sites identified without further extensive consultation with the Bunjima people. That consultation will be based on our commitment to understanding the cultural significance of the region and on the deep respect we have for the Banjima people and their heritage. It's so, just fucking deja vu. Like, yep. dropping these completely meaningless, meaningless terms like understanding and respect. Right. We're going to understand and respect your fucking culture out of existence. Well, I also think, yeah, something that really shits me off about it, and it's like, yeah, I mean, these are, you know, Jukan Gorge was a specifically important place for a whole variety of reasons. Yeah. But the way that Western, or, you know, white colonial Australian media talks about this just completely forgets that the entire land is one land and, like, that it's what. It, it, the whole thing is of cultural significance. There's no yeah. bit of the continent that wasn't part of the dreaming and part of the song lines and part of people's blood like and, and to be like oh yes this one site oh yes there were 40 sites and like no doubt there are like 40 more specifically important ones and I, I i'm not trying to say that they're not don't have other special value but i just think it's like the way this gets reported just completely reinforces our approach to this issue of like oh well if we just find the right parts of their culture we can blow yeah. that up for for iron you know yeah, yeah. so um Despite this statement from BHP, they have recently told the Bunjima people that some damage was caused to the site as a result of a rock fall. They claim not to have disturbed it, they claim not to know what has caused it, and an investigation is underway. Again, zero surprise, um, as the 
quote from that article said, the Aboriginal Affairs Minister gave BHP approval to destroy 40 sites. Like, no one involved in this process gave half a shit about these sites. Yeah. Okay, and so the the next one, that, that was BHP, but much more disgustingly, Fortescue Metals, which is owned by your favourite billionaire, Zach Twiggy Forrest, um, they very deliberately and carefully violated their agreements with the traditional owners on a, a mining site. So his, his They're really, really, really bad, Fortescue, in when it comes to this stuff. Like some of the yep. most yep. vicious and underhanded stuff. But we're, we're talking compared to other fucking mining companies. Right. You know, yep. not to mention that this is a guy who participates in social engineering in order to control the lives of indigenous people completely totally. separate from profiting from their dispossession and destruction of their culture. And like positions himself as like a philanthropist who, you know, is helping... Aboriginal people. It's just disgusting. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, this incident, which Fortescue describes as the clearing of an area around Willamora Creek, takes place less than two weeks after conditions were placed on operations in the area to protect heritage items. Uh, so, Willamora Creek is owned by the Wintawari Gurma Aboriginal Corporation, the WGAC, mm-hmm. and they're calling for Fortescue to be prosecuted by the state for blatantly breaking the law, uh, which, you know, good. It's unlikely to happen, but good. Fortescue had a deal with the WGAC, quote, that Fortescue would provide a written invitation for two representatives of the Eastern Gurama people to undertake cultural salvage prior to any disturbance works at Willamara Creek and be present to monitor the ground-disturbing works. Fortescue wrote to WGAC in late January, inviting them to undertake cultural salvage in late February, but due to what one of the uh, Fortescue executives described as, quote, human error and not malicious intent clearing works took place on the 1st of february uh instead of late february when they had invited the traditional owners to come so the wgac who represent the eastern Gurma traditional owners have long said that they're opposed to any work in the area but that under the current western australian heritage laws they have no power to object uh, they've been in negotiation with Fortescue over the future of dozens of rock shelters in the Willamara area, one possibly 60,000 years old, as well as stone structures, camping sites, and painted and engraving rock art. And, I, yeah, I, I think it's... I just want to focus on that thing again. The traditional owner said they have long opposed any work in the area, but they've accepted that under current Western Australian heritage laws, they have no power to object? Like, yeah. what the fuck? The, the Aboriginal Affairs Minister is a minister for mining. And the Western Australian government needs to seriously sort its heritage laws out as soon as possible. Um, like, not... Like, I mean, I feel shitty even saying that that's what they need to do because that's not going to make any difference because the companies don't care about the law... They don't care about their agreement with traditional owners. They don't care about social license. The government doesn't give a fuck. All anyone cares about is digging up the iron and selling it, and they just don't give even the remotest shit if they have to destroy the oldest continuous culture on Earth to get at the iron ore. No. And and just to tie this very briefly back to the rock art story, um, both of these you know mining incidents that destroyed these sites were just south of the Kimberley. We're, we're in the Pilbara, which mm. is just south of the Kimberley. And Jukin Gorge, which was in the Pilbara, has been occupied for 40,000 years, which is more than twice as long as that rock art of that kangaroo has been there. Yeah, And so who knows what about all these other places that are being destroyed. You will, we'll probably literally never know because they're being destroyed. Um, and, you know, from my point of view as a, you know, a, a colonizer, that that's 
sad and tragic, but I can't even imagine if that was my culture and my land that was being destroyed. Like, it's just, it's horrifying. Well, it's, it, it's inconceivable, I think, to us, mm. like, mm. at the end of the day, mm. right? I, I I draw a lot of comparisons with the Holocaust, and, like, you know, there's a, I'm a couple generations away from it now, but that's still happening to Indigenous people, you know, to this very day, as we say in the in the acknowledgement. Yeah, I think mining- I actually, I think I flubbed that in the acknowledgement this week, actually. But you know, yeah, but- the like, we I, I think we say it every week, but these mining companies are the tip of the spear of colonization. Mm, mm. It's an ongoing process, as we say, that is still happening, and this is what it looks like. This is like, yeah, uh, yeah. this this is what ongoing cultural genocide is. It's destruction of culture for profit, mm. mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah like I, I just don't know if we can be any clearer about that um and to say that there needs to be stronger legislative or legal protections for these sites mm, is mm. obviously the absolute bare Completely fucking minimum that, yeah, yeah yeah that you can ask for in this like colonial system of course mm. you know the actual answer is you should be fucking like Digging extracting yeah. resources from the land in the first place you know anyway Mm-hmm. yeah very right. upsetting stuff well that's the end of the first nation stories uh let's move on now you fucked up all right so this story has kind of like a uh entertaining first half and uh a pretty dark second half and i'll give mm-hmm. you all the warning when we're kind of uh ticking over here but let's start yeah, from the top point yeah yeah so who fucked up well craig kelly my one of my absolute favorite fuck-ups in Australian Parliament, he has resigned from the Liberal Party and moved to the crossbench. Uh, here's a quote from his resignation letter. I acknowledge that some of my conduct over recent months has not helped the boat go fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which okay. apparently <laughs> is a reference to, like, a sailing metaphor or allegory sure, that makes, Scott makes Morrison to likes to use. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Where it's all about, it's you know, the only decision that matters they is what helps the boat boats, go fast. Not boats going faster. No, they, they, they don't like sailing boats can go fast and should go very uh-huh. fast. Uh-huh. Boats uh-huh. that are taking people to safety should be stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. So, you know, for the good of the team, I just, I've got to step down. I just have to do it. So his mm-hmm. public line is that he needs to be true to himself, um, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting position to take is really what he's saying it's is i am people... resigning from the liberal party so that i can shit post more freely mm-hmm. yeah and it... you got to salute the commitment to posting i mean look i gotta say you hear it every season on rupaul you know this is what my drag is like i'm not going to take the feedback and then they're out the next week you know so um <laughs> you know like more power to his arm if that's what he thinks he needs to do but uh you know He's going to sashay away. He That's has sashayed. He's sashayed away uh, over onto the cross bench. But, like, you know, he, he, here's my take on it as one of Australia's foremost political Craig Kelly nobody experts. Mm. Uh, realistically, something in this situation had to give. He's been a, sure. a liability with his conspiracy shit for a while, but he was still useful as a team player within the party. You know, mm. he, he had a solid base of support within the right faction and he backed ScoMo in. And so, hence, he was saved from pre-selection three different fuck by three successive prime ministers 
in in the course of his career or maybe two technically saved him from pre-selection and and Abbott kind of reached in and and just like tweaked things on his behalf mm-hmm. but basically his conspiracy shit gets out of hand and starts to become a black mark on Morrison's authority right, right Kelly's right. position starts to basically undermine Morrison publicly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you simply can't fuck with Morrison's money like that like he just he won't brook it he'll come for you mm-hmm. so at this stage i think Kelly sees the writing on the wall he's going to get challenged for pre-selection again you know in 2019 before the election he had privately admitted that he was quote facing certain defeat mm-hmm. in pre-selection until Morrison stepped in to, to save him. Cancel almost, all pre-selections. Yeah, yeah, almost blowing up the fucking New South Wales Liberal Party in the process. But Kelly knows the intervention is not going to be forthcoming this time. This time, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's made Morrison look bad in public. There's no way dude goes out on a limb for him again. So, And it, it's also important to point out that Kelly has threatened to move to the crossbench before if he wasn't pre-selected. Because he's a fucking petulant baby. It's funny. It's like, you know, it's the same playbook that fucking, what's his name, now irrelevant former politician Corey Bernardi tried to do. (laughs) And, you know, it's like um, both of them thought it was a good idea because it worked for Pauline Hanson. But, like, they are not Pauline Hanson's. Um, You know, say what you will about the tenets of Pauline Hanson's (laughs) One Nation Party. Uh, At least she has organized a supporter base well that's yeah. it and she has political fucking staying power in a way that mm. neither of those other guys ever did and some mm. of, and like I, you know, pauline is a disgusting abhorrent racist and a blight mm. on this country but she went through fucking hell she went to prison yeah. over bullshit <laughs> charges that fucking tony abbott drummed up against her because howard sicked him as his attack dog on her like mm. these guys could never they got absolutely like they don't have her metal, you know. And I don't fucking yeah, have yeah. any respect for Pauline, but like, let's lay it on the line here. Neither of those mm. guys have anywhere near the backbone required to make this fucking kind of play work. He is doomed. Kelly is doomed because he's he's a wet nothing. Like it's all he's ever been. Anyway, so this is him making good on his threat, really, you know. If I don't get pre-selected, I move to the cross bench. He's threatened this before. He's just getting in a little bit early, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like the pre-selection preemptive strike. Exactly. So where's he going to go next? Well, there's been some speculation that you know, like he's going to give the um, he will guarantee supply and stuff to the Liberal government. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, a, it's not in minority or anything. It's not no in it, numbers. Yeah, it's not not going to have a huge. Well, he has. I think that he has met, made noises about potentially opposing some legislation he doesn't like, which I'm assuming sure. is all going to be related to Corona stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the more fun speculation uh, is around how close he is with George Christensen and Barnaby Joyce. Mm. Um, and Barnaby definitely wants Craig Kelly to join the Nationals because that could possibly give him the numbers to roll Michael McCormack, which oh would God. be the absolute fucking most hilarious series of shitty dominoes in Australian politics. That would also be fabulous if it happened before the election, like if he got into the Nats, because he's not going to win his seat. Um, no, no. Right? So, yeah. So, like, if he... <laughs> yeah. If, if he joins the Nats rolls McCormack to get Barnaby in and then gets voted out. That would just be like the beautiful 
like pirouette exit stage left that I would I would love to see. This Rube yeah. Goldberg machine that just like, <laughs> the like very like you're sitting there watching it, and the last thing it does is just like slap you in the face. Like, like... <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, as, as I kind of talked about in our bonus episode, it seemed to me that he was basically already resigned to the fact that he wasn't going to be around after the next election one way or the other and so hence the like out and out conspiracy posting mm. he's just trying to go out with a bang that is as loud ill-informed and bigoted as possible um but so i just wanted to mention that uh, people have also been speculating he might join the gap the great australian party along with mm. far right pete evans grifter right? pete yeah. evans yeah yeah and um neo-nazi at least apologist if not more Peter Evans. Avi Amini. Oh, Peter. Oh, right. Yeah. I think Avi has also been Quarters. speculated as a, as a gap possibility. Anyway. Jesus Christ. It's pretty awful. It's going to be hard to cover that because he is one of those people who's just so aesthetically grating, like his voice, you know, just listening to him speak. Just uh, full body cringe every time he opens his tiny little mouth. Anyway, okay. That is the first half of this story. Um, and now as I transition to the, into the second part, I'm going to give a, give a content warning for the rest of the show, really, from this point yeah. on. Um, this story is now going to dovetail into a, a discussion of sexual assault. Um, and later in the show, there are going to be mentions of rape and suicide as we have a further discussion around um, the, the ongoing developments uh, sort of off the back of the Brittany Higgins um, story. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, this would be the time to tune out if you don't want to listen to um, that stuff. We will put uh, time codes to the show notes so you can skip back in if you want to hear the end of the show and the pup date. But, um, yeah, the the remaining actual news is all going to be heavy and triggering. Yeah, so there's another theory around Craig Kelly's resignation. Mm-hmm, this is a tweet mm-hmm. from uh, a Sky News reporter. Breaking, a government source has told Sky News Craig Kelly has resigned because he failed to sack a senior staff member accused of inappropriate behavior towards women in the workplace. Mm. So I did touch on this very briefly last week, but Craig Kelly's right-hand man, a senior aide by the name of Frank Zumbo, who's been working with Kelly for 10 years, has been accused by multiple women of sexual harassment especially of teenage girls. Many of the women say the harassment happened when they were interning in, in Kelly's office as teenagers. Uh, and one woman who, uh, who used to intern for Kelly has uh, an apprehended violence order against Zumbo, which means that he's not to, allowed to come within 100 metres of her or uh, whatever it is. Or contact, yeah. Yeah. And this is based on conduct that happened while she was an intern at Kelly's mm. office. Um, and also this from news.com. Mr. Zumbo has been under police investigation since April last year over his alleged conduct towards a girl who cannot be identified due to her age. Fuck. So, if you needed any more confirmation that Craig Kelly is a complete piece of shit, here it is. I mean, he says he 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 admits that he knew about the AVO, says mm-hmm. that he doesn't didn't knew about these other allegations, which fuck you like it's in a it's in no way credible that you don't know that your right hand man of 10 years is a serial sexual harasser of staff but Mm. also if you didn't know that's a total Mm. fucking failure as well and like like either way you know i enjoy having a laugh at craig kelly but he is like he's a demon 
yeah. Yep. And so anyway, let, let me get back to this tweet real quick. Craig Kelly has resigned because he failed to sack a senior staff member. Mm. Like, look at the wording there. Like, it's quite, you know, it's very fucking... There's a, there's big gaps in that yeah. proposition. You know, in this scenario, Craig Kelly hasn't made that, that decision himself. You know, mm. he, di- he didn't resign because he failed to sack a senior staff member. He resigned because, or the implication is, the, he resigned resigned because he was leaned on by Morrison. This information comes, of course, from an anonymous government source. Sure. Fucking big sure. surprise. Morrison, meanwhile, has implied that he had told Kelly to fire Zumbo. Mm-hmm. Got a quote here from him. That is a matter I have raised on numerous occasions, but that reached a more serious point in recent weeks. I raised those matters with the member for Hughes. He undertook to take some certain actions on behalf of those discussions. Those actions were not taken, and the member of Hughes has taken his decision today. Ugh. That's so fucking exhausting I to just, listen seriously, to. Like, what the I just fuck, I man? hate that language. Like yeah. say what you mean, fuckhead. Yeah. You know, but obviously you know, but like say what you mean, but obviously what he's doing is he fudging because yeah. yeah, he can't truthfully say that he actually told Kelly to fire Zumbo. As far as I can like, if that is what happened, why would they, why the fuck wouldn't you just be saying that instead of speaking around the issue? It's mm. just constant political bullshit from this guy. Anyway. There's also a letter from 2018 written by Kent Johns, who is a a moderate liberal who has attempted to challenge Kelly for pre-selection in Hughes multiple times. And this, yeah, this is a letter that he wrote. Oh, I can't remember who he wrote it to. It was someone else within the Liberal Party. Uh, What disgusts me more than anything is that we are all aware of what is said to be occurring in Craig's office, irrespective of him tearing down the party, climate change denial, and attacking marriage recognition. The treatment of young women in his office over the last six years was made aware to all from the prime minister down. The behavior you walk past is the behavior you accept. In other words, Mm. this has been an open secret within the Liberal Party for years, like the behavior of so many other predatory men. Like what happened to Brittany Higgins, it's the same culture that results in incoming female liberal staff is being mm. uh, given a list of men to avoid at party events. Like, you know, this, it's, it, it's just, you couldn't paint a clearer picture of the pattern here. And so, you know, now at this point, now Morrison suddenly finds this to be so unacceptable that he has totally in private and without saying mm-hmm. anything definitive mm-hmm. publicly leaned on Kelly so hard that Kelly decided to resign rather than fire this guy. Like it's, 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 it's total bullshit. It just seems like total bullshit to me. Morrison and the liberal party at large have been demonstrating, you know, especially over the last two weeks, but obviously for, you know, basically their entire existence as a party that they do not give a fuck about victims, survivors of sexual assault, Mm. you know, in general, let alone within their own party. The truth is, as I outlined before, mm, Kelly was mm. a political liability who had to go. And now Morrison and his office are trying to spin this as if it's about Frank Zumbo's predatory behavior. This is just, this is, it's a totally cynical attempt to make it look like Morrison gives a fuck about this. And just executed in this cowardly fashion where it's like backgrounded anonymously to journalists mm, yeah. you know, by government sources. Like, the whole attitude towards this is sickening. Um, and 
that's probably a good point to transition into the next section here where yeah i i want to um go back and, and talk a little bit more about uh, the 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 developments in 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 the wake of Brittany higgins uh revelations about mm-hmm. when she was raped at parliament house and i guess before we dive into this i also wanted to say i meant to say this last week um mm. you know it's a tricky thing being two dudes talking about this stuff we are doing a lot of talking about it um and we think it's important to discuss and we think it's important to discuss from the perspective of being men. That's obviously the only perspective that we can really bring to this. Um, but having said all that, uh, we understand that this stuff is really, you know, it's sensitive to talk about difficult to listen to and that we have a very limited perspective. Um, and so I just want to make it very clear that we are really open to suggestions advice feedback on on how to talk about this stuff yeah, you know, and what kind of job we're doing about this because it's important to us that we get this as right as we can so i just want to give that disclaimer before we start um getting into this n- next discussion totally um so yeah i guess the, the main one of the sort of major developments and this is a story that broke just last night at time of recording um, is that a letter was sent to Scott Morrison accusing a current Liberal minister of raping a 16-year-old girl in 1988. The person who was raped died by suicide last year, so there can be no criminal investigation. Um, and I'm going to read now a couple of tweets from Dania Mani, who uh, I quoted her from her article in the Saturday paper last week quite a bit when we were having the discussion about Brittany Higgins. She's an ex-liberal staffer um, who yeah, does a, a, a lot of work around uh, workplace safety and sexual assault for um, people mm-hmm. working in and around politics. She says, the woman whose historical allegations are now news is slash was one of my most loved friends. Please don't politicize her trauma. She would not want that. Please consult with loved ones about decisions. We are still mourning. This is beyond distressing. It is my understanding that her family has previously and specifically objected to Four Corners telling her story. As someone who knew how the woman wanted her story to be told one day, as we discussed it often, the coverage Four Corners is putting out now that dehumanizes her and reduces her to her death and details of the crime Mm -hmm. was not it. She wanted empowerment to be seen. This is deplorable. So I, I missed, I should have mentioned at the beginning there that this story was broken by Four Corners. Um, but you know, given those comments from uh, mm. from Daniel Mani, uh, until that we can be sure that we should be talking about this story at all, um, and that when we do do it, we're able to discuss it in a way that centers uh, what the woman at the center of the story herself would have wanted, mm. we're not going to talk about it. Um, but we do want to mention it because it's an important develop- development yeah. and will likely become an important part of the ongoing discourse um, around sexual assault in Parliament and more generally. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I don't think, you know, it, I don't think it's appropriate for us to say any more about it than that at this yeah, stage. No, I agree. Yeah. I think that's, um, yeah, no, you sent me that tweet earlier this week from Daniel Miner, that tweet thread and, um, yeah, it's just then watching everyone talk about it and disregard that has been quite concerning. Um, so yeah, yeah I think you are right that it is going to be significant for the, the next 
little while on the narratives around this stuff. So yeah, worth at least mentioning, even if that's all, that's all that we can say. Yeah. And like an important, really important element of this entire conversation is about how we talk about it, how it is described in the media, how people who share their stories are, are treated. So, you know, I think it's important that we try to actively engage with that. Um, but so, you know, what I wanted to get back into this week was, uh, yeah, this ongoing discourse around like uh, around sexual assault um, that is happening in um, in the wake of uh, Brittany Higgins sharing what happened to her at Parliament. Um, and so last week we spoke about uh, Higgins' story, uh, how the rape was handled within the Liberal Party, and we touched on a couple of potential solutions. One... Um, that Danya Mani uh, recommended, which was reforming the Members of Parliament Staff Act, which basically totally, yeah. mm. offers staffers no like workplace protection at all currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we also spoke about the need for uh, you know broader cultural change outside of those you know those kind of re- like outside of regulation or whatever. The idea of introducing the idea of consent to boys mm-hmm. really early on having early uh, education, sex education about consent for boys. Um, But this week um, I I wanted to try and kind of round up, I guess, the various continuing developments in in, in the aftermath of Brittany Higgins' Mm -hmm. revelations Um, and just kind of briefly touch on on a few different political responses um, that have happened over the last week from from members of the Liberal Party. Um, But uh, before we get onto that, it's, uh, you know, a, a new, I guess, development in the story is that a fourth woman has come forward with allegations against the man who raped Brittany Higgins, um, saying that the man uh, harassed her, uh, sexually harassed her at a bar in Canberra. She also worked in Parliament. Um, and she said of the incident, quote, by that time, I was just so used to sexual harassment that I just brushed it off. Mm. Which is horrifying. Just, yeah, just horrifying. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this, this, this strengthens the picture of this man as somebody who believed that he could assault and harass women like from his work, like at his workplace mm, mm. with no consequences. And he was right until Brittany Higgins publicly like exposed her trauma in order to mm. try and get some kind of justice. Um, the other, one of the other major uh, stories going around about this this week was a letter that was sent to members of parliament and senators from the commissioner of the Australian Federal Police. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Here's a quote from it. I cannot state strongly enough the importance of timely referrals of allegations of criminal conduct. Failure to report alleged criminal behaviour in this manner or choosing to communicate or disseminate allegations via other means, such as through the media or third parties, risks prejudicing and subsequent police investigation. Um, and I've seen this reported on a couple of different ways. Um, for example, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give you two headlines. This one's from the ABC. AFP letter warns MPs delay reporting crimes could lead to reoffending. And here's one from the Financial Review. Tell the police, not the media, AFP urges rape victims. Which, you know, they've both clearly taken very different things yeah. from this letter. Like, there's... there's the discrepancy there is who who is it aimed at? Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah, you know, when I first saw this being shared around on Twitter, it definitely seemed like the latter. 
I guess, you know, that it's, it was directed at victims, victim mm-hmm. survivors. Um, but I couldn't find the full letter. So I can't say for certain, but it seems to nominally be addressed to MPs. Like this is about, you know, it's directed at politicians who, you know, whose impulse is to protect themselves mm-hmm. at the expense of people who, who have been assaulted. Uh, that I'm pretty sure that's what he's, you know, like that's how it was intended, like consciously to be received. But even sure. if that is the case, the letter I think can be read as also being directed, you know, to pe- to employees at mm-hmm. Parliament, or more generally to victim survivors. You know, especially when you consider the context of Higgins' story that she went to the media before before she made a form- formal police complaint. So you know, I think the people read it's it's probably fair to read it that way as well. Sure, sure. Um, but I thought it was a good opportunity to just talk briefly about why people might not want to go to the police if they have been raped or feel like they can't go to the police, you know, mm, mm. aside from the fact that, you know, it's just a hugely traumatizing experience to have to sit in an interview box with a cop who is like, you know, often going to be a man sitting there and like asking you questions about whether or not you caught this really guy's eye stuff, or huh? smiled yeah. at him or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, you know, even just, the smallest of things that we've covered previously on this show mm, stories about mm. the fact that cops don't believe victim survivors, that they themselves commit domestic violence at a much mm. higher rate than the rest of the population that they cover for other cops who have committed domestic violence, cops who abuse their power and authority to help their abusive mates track yeah. down their partners. Like this does not, this is not an institution that people who have been like that women who have been raped could ever feel safe going to mm, with mm. allegations. And even if they are believed, it's very unlikely then that the person will ever get charged. And if it's, if they do get charged, extremely unlikely they'll be convicted. There are various different numbers on this from various sources ranging from, you know, as, as high as like one in 10 uh, allegations of rape result in, in conviction to as low as three percent, which that's wow. that's a hard stat from Victoria in in twenty sixteen. Three yeah. percent wow. of uh, allegation of rape allegations resulted in in conviction. So it's you know the legal system. Like we've been over this before. F- f- haven't even talked about how endemic like sexual harassment and assault and misogyny is within the legal profession. Like obviously mm, we mm. we covered Dyson Hayden uh, when you know when that was happening. The, uh, the the judge who would harass his associates, um, so you know, like broadening out even to the scope of the legal system, like mm. you know, just like go to the po- just go to the police, just tell the cops, like it's not a fucking solution. And it's no coincidence as well that like you know, Parliament is full of lawyers and the staffers, are, a lot of them are lawyers, and like they're the same same ones who are being shitty in private practice as yeah. as in yeah Parliament. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about the need for systemic change, this this is an, a great example. It's not a matter of, you know, people not using the legal system mm, correctly, mm. and that's why rapists are not brought to justice. The system is designed to let rapists off. And in, so the, I think the way that we societally deal with the idea of trying to get some kind of justice for victim survivors has to be radically rethought. And there's, like, obviously a, a huge amount of... Um, contemporary feminist thinking that has gone into this and ideas around restorative justice, transformative justice, um, and 
anti-carceral responses to this, which are all stuff that we should definitely go into more detail on mm. in a future episode. But in the meantime, um, I just wanted to touch on a couple of the other uh, media stories that have been circulating this week sure. uh, around this issue. <clears throat> so one is that Linda Reynolds, the defense minister who was, you know, it was her office in which Brittany Higgins was working and was then raped. Um, the Reynolds went to hospital this week, just hours before she was due to answer questions at the national press club mm. about her handling of the rape allegations. This is apparently on the advice of her cardiologist. And so, yeah, I mean, she was likely going to be facing some very fucking tough questions at that press conference about the fact that the rape happened in her private office Mm. That she then held a meeting with Brittany Higgins in the fucking room where the rape took place. That Higgins said that she felt that she was ha she had to choose between her job or going to the cops. And the fact that, you know, Reynolds never mentioned the incident to her again and was cold towards her from that point on. You know, then in other words, that Reynolds offered Higgins no support at all. Mm. Higgins herself on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, I think it's probably worth pointing out here just how... Um, incredibly well Brittany Higgins has handled herself, you know, throughout yeah. this entire process. And her response on, on Twitter to, to this was, I genuinely hope Linda Reynolds is okay and wish her all the best with her recovery. Let's just hope that from this whole horrible situation, there will actually be some fundamental reform to the MOPS Act for vulnerable staff and improvements to the workplace culture in Parliament House. So she's there coming in, with support again for that idea of you know reforming the members of parliament staff sure, act sure. Yep. which um is sort of emerging i think as one of the major things that um might get put on you know for actual tangible reform that might come out of this mm -hmm. um and that's an extremely big and magnanimous response from higgins on mm -hmm. this and like I don't know if I'm out of line here, and maybe people will tell me if I am or not. But to me, this from Reynolds, like I have to go to hospitals so I can't answer these questions. It's fucking garbage, in my opinion. Like, I just don't like you. <laughs> I I just don't know how gullible like we're expected to be about this. Like hours before the press conference, and like. It's taboo, right, to question whether somebody mm, mm. is genuinely sick or not, or whether what their capacity is if they are sick, you know. Yeah. And I don't really particularly want to wade into that, I guess, but I just think this is fucking outrageous. Like, I, I'm just, you know, it to to question it is is so out of line that mm. you know. But that's that's why you have to. That's why you tell a lie that's as big as this, right? True, true. You know. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think you're right about there being some taboo about questioning that. But from my point of view, I feel like political lies are generally much more vague. This is a very specific lie. I don't know. That's I just assumed it was like true and legit because I don't know. Because um, it's I an really absolutely it's about a it disgusting like, thing to why lie, would you lie about. about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, because yeah. like you know. You Except there is a good reason. There, there is a reason. A why she great would lie about reason it. to lie about it, which is that she feels deep, deep shame about mm. being involved in this, and like, yeah, there is a, a very, you know, complex 
dynamic at play here where we have to be able to hold that hold in our heads that someone can both be you know a victim of patriarchal systems and complicit in patriarchal systems at the same time and i'm sure that day-to-day life for linda reynolds like in her as in her position you know Mm. in in parliament was not fucking peachy we know what women who hold elected office are Mm. uh, subjected to i mean we just had Mm. we had just this week another liberal mp nicole flint um say she's not going to recontest the next election and she has throughout her political career suffered like huge amounts of misogynist abuse Mm. um had her office vandalized with like misogynist slurs and journalists commenting on her appearance and that kind of thing and of course you know linda reynolds will have been subjected to all of this kind of the stuff. same stuff yeah. yeah yeah absolutely but at the end of the day like she massively let down this woman who was under mm. her care and she has like you know she's now running away from her culpability in this she's refusing to accept responsibility and i was just so fucking like viscerally upset by this and that yeah that you know essentially by t- by what i see is taking this dishonest tactic of lying about this or that you know you preclude anybody talking about what's actually going on you know it's still mm. it's so much it's fucking game playing and like smoke and mirrors yeah, and just yeah. that it's happening around this like still continuously happening around this issue is yeah it just does my head in anyway like if you've got thoughts on that i'd love to hear them you know am i being unreasonable here um i genuinely don't know but this was my gut reaction um and uh it frustrated me that it's you know you're kind of mm. not allowed to discuss it anyway let's now move on and talk a little bit about what scott morrison's been up to this week mm-hmm. he gave a speech to mark international women's day which it's, you know just gonna leave that one there interesting to me is that he seems to be trying to reshape perception of his stance on this issue after his initial response which was obviously incredibly insensitive he was like roundly criticized all throughout the media and by you know people on all sides of politics with his you know invoking the wife and daughters and you know putting his foot in essentially in a number of ways um but this International Women's Day speech is a bit of a window into how the spin machine in his office operates, I think. Now, here's an example that I wanted to um, tease out a little bit. So last week, he said, this should not be an environment where a young woman can find herself in such a vulnerable position. And he was talking about Brittany Higgins. So obviously, there's strong victim-blaming rhetoric there, the idea that a woman is... like very passive tense. Extremely passive. Where's the rapist in this sentence? Yeah. Like, yeah. a situation? What, like... It's an environment in which there's a situation, and then a woman can find herself in that situation. Yeah, yeah exactly. She's, she's found herself. She can herself. find herself, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, you know, who who put herself... Who put her there? Like, yeah, so gross stuff. Then this week... In his International Women's Day speech, here's here's a quote. We don't need to protect against the vulnerability of women. That's not the issue. We need to protect against those who would disrespect women. That's where the perpetrators are. It is about understanding that vulnerability is not the issue here, or arguably not even present. The problem is the actions that are perpetrated against women. So, like, 
Okay. Someone in his office has taken note of the criticism of that mm. initial statement, and they're basically directly addressing it without ever admitting that, like, he shouldn't have said that first thing or yep. why it was fucked up. But it's like, now you they're playing catch-up, being like, oh, what's, mm. what's the correct way to talk about this? It's also still doublespeak. Though. It is. Like, it is. it's still mealy-mouthed. The- and that's it's his about style understanding as well. That vulnerability is not the issue here, or arguably not even present. Like that. Well, that and what that really reads what, like to me is that that he's he's ad libbing in between lines. Yes. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Sure. The it's about understanding that vulnerability is not the issue here, and then you know, or arguably not even present, but a skomo on top there is the right. Like, right. And 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 so that's why I think to to listen to it. It doesn't in any way sound genuine. To me, it doesn't, like, it doesn't show any fucking understanding of the issue either. I'm like, maybe this is getting into that area of, like, you know, I really dislike it on, on Twitter of people, like, people's entire criticism of Scott Morrison is founded in the fact that, like, they personally don't like his attitude, that he's too smug or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. that's not a good material foundation on which to base a political criticism. And maybe I'm dipping into this area by, like, armchair psychologizing his talking style. But it seems to me like he doesn't get, have a fucking idea what he's talking about. Mm. He's just like, somebody in his office has pointed him in a slightly different direction and sent him off, like, you know, with, with different notes. Yeah, And, you know, but the initial comment about you know women a woman founding herself in a vulnerable situation that's him speaking off the top of his head and that's you know it's revealing you know yeah. anything a much more uh honest representation of what he actually thinks but on that note and just before we get off morrison i mm-hmm. thought it might be illuminating to revisit his speech from international women's day in 2019 is a quote you don't push some people down to lift some people up and that is true about gender equality too we want to see women rise but we don't want to see women rise only on the basis of others doing worse. Others. That's an interesting use of the word others for someone who presumably doesn't believe in non-binary people. Yeah, also define doing worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not... It's You know, nobody is surprised that Morrison is a misogynist. I just think that it's important to remember that it's all there in fucking black and white. And, that you know, like, his office is scrambling to try and reshape his image in the wake of these allegations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I just wanted to put on record, we're not fucking buying it. <laughs> that's that's all I want to say about that. And, and, and lastly, before uh, we get out of here, I, I just wanted to talk about Peter Dutton a little bit. So really bringing it home with all the classics here. So it came out this week that Peter Dutton knew about Brittany Higgins' rape four days before Morrison says that he found out about it from the news.com.au article where the story was first broken. Um, uh, Of course, his office, you know, the, the, the official timeline is that Morrison's office knew well before Morrison did and didn't tell him. Mm -hmm. And we talked last week about how it seems Highly fucking unlikely. Probably not true and also still bad. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like, even if he, like, you know, he knew, that's my opinion. But if he didn't, then his office is clearly either a place where rape allegations are not considered important 
or they're considered something to be swept Completely. under the carpet. Like yeah. Yeah. those are the, you know, none of these options are good, Scott. You've anyway. So Dutton was told by the Australian federal police actually about Higgins's rape, because when she went to the AFP and said that she was thinking about reopening the investigation into her rape, it triggered this um, sensitive investigation guidelines thing, huh. which essentially requires a home affairs minister to be notified of any inquiry that could potentially have like a major impact on the operations of the government. And I think okay. it's, it's usually probably more geared towards like intelligence and security stuff, you sure, know, sure. it's like yeah, we're yeah. about to investigate like, you know, somebody who has been selling secrets or, or whatever, right, but like, right, right. it's very, very vague, the wording of the, uh, of these mm-hmm. uh, these investigation guidelines. So anyway, Higgins went to the AFP, and the AFP, you know, sent, like their uh, their procedure is that they had to call Dutton up and tell him. Uh, which, just side note, seems like a very cool way to give Peter Dutton a whole lot of extra yeah. information on people he doesn't like, which I'm sure yep. could never possibly backfire. But anyway, Dutton didn't go to Morrison with this. He knew days before Morrison, you know, says that he knew. And Peter Dutton says that he didn't tell Morrison because it was a procedural matter for the AFP. Um, and, you know, there you could probably come up with a whole bunch of other reasons why Peter Dutton wouldn't tell Morrison this. My personal favorite is that, you know, he just likes the idea of Morrison being caught off guard by the story coming mm. out. Because obviously... Interesting. I would have assumed it was more what you were saying about, like, he doesn't give a fuck, he doesn't think it's important, why would he tell the Prime Minister about it? Um, that's entirely but, possible yeah um, as you say there's all sorts of terrible reasons that this might have happened yeah um, he may also just have like known that morrison already knew about his allegations right. and was like eh. <laughs> you know, why would i bother him with this but i honestly like i think that like, to me the most likely scenario is that he figures that it would be a blow to morrison's political capital and of course dutton is there in the wings waiting like a fucking vulture to pick Morrison off as soon as he's weak enough. Like the man is, is vicious and scheming and it just like, doesn't seem plausible to me that there isn't at least some political maneuvering in this from Dutton. That's my perspective. Maybe it's, Mm -hmm. maybe it's a little bit too cynical, but I don't know if you can be cynical enough when it comes to Peter Dutton. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I always say that one of our great strengths is our low-grade cynicism. So <laughs> keep keep churning that out, Zach. I'm, I'm cranking. So, I'm cranking the cynicism doing it for up. us. So essentially, to sum up here, the responses of these various liberal politicians has been to a cover their asses, often with what, in my opinion, are fucking bald-faced lies. B exploit the situation to their political advantage, whether that means you know, destabilizing the authority of a leader who you're hoping to roll or disposing of mm-hmm. an, an MP who's a political liability to you and then trying to use that as evidence of the fact that you actually care about this issue when you demonstrably mm-hmm. don't. And C, uses an attempt to position themselves as progressive on the issue without offering a fucking skerrick of material change or demonstrating any true understanding of what actually needs to change so that women can exist safely 
within Parliament House or fucking outside of Parliament House. Because all of these, you know, convers- all of these ideas that we've touched on about tangible ideas for reform, mm. none of that is coming from government. None of that's even coming from the opposition. They're all just talking yeah. about inquiries. These yeah, calls are yeah. coming from victim survivors who have worked in Parliament and understand what the like what actually needs to be done because they have the experience like they've lived it so those are obviously the people that we need to be listening to people like Brittany higgins people like daniel marnie you know if these politicians want to demonstrate that they in any way give a fuck about this issue like they will do what those victim survivors are advising Mm, them to mm. because they're not like oh it's some big nebulous problem we could never solve They've got concrete fucking right. there's, ideas. There's like actual things that we could do. Yeah, they're writing week. articles yeah, yeah. about it. They're writing mm. tweets about it. Like, you don't have to go far to, 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 like, hear from the people who are actually affected what they think needs to be done to solve this problem, at least in the short term, at least in Parliament House. You know, obviously, misogyny and rape culture in general is a much broader societal issue, but there is still plenty of fucking proactive stuff you could do about that as a government, as we've discussed. Anyway... I thought it was like you know important to 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 go back over that stuff and and just to to make sure that we're keeping abreast of this discussion. Yeah. Um, even though it's you know it's really hard to talk about, hard to think about, it's hard to write about, it's hard to listen to. Um, you know, I think I think it's vital. Um, so you know, hopefully, I don't know. You you want to try and find a balance between being able to talk about this quite traumatic stuff in detail without it becoming just impossible to listen to. So again, you know, we, we welcome suggestions and feedback on this. Um, uh, yeah, we, we'd love to hear uh, thoughts from anybody who's interested. Send us a potluck or, or write us an email or send us a message. Yeah. All the DMs are open. Yeah, absolutely. And please um, like and subscribe and follow us and share our shit. Um, head on over to Patreon, sign up for one US dollar a month. You get a bonus episode each month um, and you get on our Discord. And for higher tiers, you get other cool shit. It's um, true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But so I think time to that brings us to the end of the show. Time yeah. for that whiplash? Time for the tonal whiplash? I don't think of it less as a whiplash and more of like a a, a gentle hug on the way out, a, a, a puppy hug. A pup hug. That's that's quite a nice nice way to think about it. Why don't we play that sting? Now it's time for a pup game. So tell me, what's been going on with Bagel this week? Well, um, long-time listeners will know Bagel uh, has behavioral problems and he takes medication to deal with them. And he takes uh, sertraline, which is just like regular human anti-anxiety drugs. Um, I just give him like, you know, some of that each evening. But um, he also has short-term ones that I give him before we go on walks. And that like brings his like energy levels down. And it means that we can go and do training in situations that would otherwise be too exciting. So like walk up and down the dog park looking at dogs and he's like, drugged up enough that he can be chill about that, that we can do some actual useful work. Well, that drug that I give him before 
books has been completely sold out across the entire country because of the pandemic. And ah. the pharmacy has finally managed to get some in. It's at a different dosage, but they spoke to the vet and blah, blah, blah. So I have the drugs. We're going to go back to doing that training soon. So that's really good because it's been a good couple of months that I haven't had um, access to it. Um, mm. And it's been real stressful and difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't been doing the training that is uh, important to do all the time. So, oh, Fingers crossed for your training. Yeah. Um, also, oh, I had this is a, not my pup date, but I did some paid dog training for some friends of friends of friends oh, recently. Nice. So that was really nice. So, listeners, You're if you a have a dog that needs training, write into Ospol Snackpod uh, contact at ospolsnackpod.com <laughs> and book a, a lesson with Noon today. A little one on one podcast and pats. Yeah, I, I, I promise to also talk about. Australian politics <laughs> while training your dog, yeah. or not, depending on your your preference. I'm just, I'm just. I'll teach you to bark now. when you um, hear, when you say Barnaby Joyce. Yeah, what, what's going on with Dante? Uh, Dante has been diligently taking his pills as well every day. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a shortage of stinky, naughty bastard pills. Um, so he's been able to get a. S- Solid he's supply. Still, still huffing him. He's he's chomping those uh, stinky bastard pills every day and becoming stinkier and more of a bastard um, every minute. That's his style. Um, what happened? Oh yeah, we got robbed. Um, someone took yeah, all his bike from fucked. the front yard. Yeah. And it's no good. Dante kind of like lightly barked at them twice and then seemed to decide that maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. With, you know, as compared to, for example, for, like, you know, seeing a your cat friend in the knocking distance, on the door. yeah, and him yeah. just completely losing his shit. Um, maybe it's one of the side effects of the stinky bastard pills is lethargy, mm. um, or like not being able to determine who is a robber. Um, which <laughs> I guess that's fair. I'm not really actually that. I'm not not annoyed at him about it. It's just yeah, pretty it's not funny. Literally, his job, but like it, it's the sort of thing that you feel he might have done. Well, it's like we spend you know, all like this time he, every, every day trying to keep him away from windows because he's always like scaring Tricking the shit out stuff. of random yeah. people who come past by being so vocally aggressive, and like someone breaking into the front yard. He's like, "Hey, uh, uh, woof. well, never mind. I guess, yeah." <laughs> Anyway, Dante. so that's that's been uh, that's been what's happening with Dante this week. Cool. Well, all right. Well, I think that does it. Yeah, another super long episode this week. If you've gotten this far, thank you very much for sticking with us. Yeah, I can't, uh, we got to stop doing this, man. Yeah, I know we, we got do. that nice potluck about why do you cut things, but I'm fucking exhausted. No, We've been talking for an hour and forty five. We, we yeah. got to we got to. No, this is thing. it's in no way sustainable. So there, Tilda. Yeah. Now you have your 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 most definitive answer. We just physically we, can we barely manage yeah. doing yeah. <laughs> doing long shows um next week we're gonna what, what are we, we're gonna talk about crown next week yeah, yeah yeah totally we we were gonna talk about it this week but we had to cut it for time yeah um it didn't really work it turns out but um oh, well we might talk about we crown depends it, we yeah. may need to wait a bit longer for some more developments because there's you know we're in a bit of a no man's land with the story at this point, you know, mm. like this mm. regulatorship broke a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, whatever. It's maybe it's crown next week. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll definitely bring you that. Yeah. We'll, we'll bring you that news. The news keeps coming and it don't stop coming. It's a little leak of our next uh, Patreon Snackpot reward. Remix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Um, uh, please 
write in. Let us know if you have thoughts, feelings. We'd love to hear them. Send us potlucks. Yes. Record yourself talking for a minute. Email it to us, contact at osbolsnackpod.com. That's right. And if you like what we do, uh, please leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you can leave a comment or review. It's always appreciated. But in the meantime, make sure that you keep on snacking in the free world and we'll catch you next week. Fuck Clive Palmer, crunch, crunch. True.